Now, we're going to get into the word. Our main text is going to be Exodus 1. We're going to start in verse 6. We're going to go to chapter uh, 2, around verse 10. We're going to be reading from the New King James. Um, but before that, I want to just share real quickly about why this is what I'm, why I'm sharing what I'm sharing. And um, several months ago, I felt like I got a download from God. And the reason I felt it was from God is because the download came and started quoting Jesus' scriptures. Like all quotes from Jesus. And I'm like, wow. And I couldn't have ordered these thoughts this fast because I'm not that smart. And so I just realized, wow, this is really from God. And so I'm going to share it and then you're going to have to judge if it's from God. And then you can respond how the Holy Spirit leads you because the Holy Spirit is one who applies God's word to our hearts. But I was, I was just, I don't know what I was doing, and I got this download, like, and I'm like, whoa. Um, and the download was this. I heard a voice tell me in my mind, there are seven things that you need to see correctly to manifest your purpose and to fulfill your destiny. Now, that is a huge biblical theme because Jesus said in John 17, I have finished the work you sent me to do. Paul the Apostle said, I have, finished the I have finished my course. So God intends for us to know what He has for us to do. He, he wants us to know who He's making us. And He wants us to know when we're actually done with what He called us to do. I know that seems kind of foreign, but like God is able to communicate clearly and distinctly enough for us to have confidence in Him and in what He said. So that we're not moved by other things. Yeah? So the download came and said, there's seven things you need to see correctly. And the list went, God, yourself, relationships, time, money, problems, the future. Just like that came fast. And I'm like, wow, I can't make that up. Okay. And so I wrote it down and I realized that there was a direct quote from Jesus about every one of these, these points. And then I began to realize that if you, if or if I, if we operate with a simple misunderstanding in one of these crucial areas of our life, our life becomes out of order and dysfunctional and it can't move or it can't facilitate what God wants to pour in. In other words, if I have an incorrect view of money, God cannot pour finances into me because I'll eat my seed. Or whatever. Or I'll sow my bread. You know, like, there, if you don't understand these things, this will leave us in a very deficient position where we're always hungry, but we're never able to receive what we're asking for. Does that make sense? Yes. And a lot of times we function with some basic misunderstandings, and most believers do not have a, a biblical worldview. And I believe that God, through the mind of Christ, can give us a biblical worldview where we come to the unity of the faith, we know Jesus for who He is, and we have a similar value system. The unity of the faith doesn't mean we agree on everything. It means we'll bleed for Jesus. Does that make sense? It means that He really is first. It means that He really is preeminent. It means that our deepest intention is to truly honor Him, and if we're not, we'll admit when we're wrong. Right? We, we become teachable. We, we submit to one another. We, we're open to, to actually being wrong and to being corrected and to being, you know, 
challenged and to, you know, it's not just like, oh, just edify me. No, we're, we're like, you know what, if I'm wrong, you know, let me hear it. Explain to me. My wife called me out the other day. She's like, no, you said this and you're, that's, that's not, and I'm like, you're right, she got me. But she did it in the right spirit, she did it in the right way, and now I was a, a beneficiary of that challenge. And so we've got to learn to accept that and uh, grow, because that's really how we grow. If you, wanna, if you want to you know, encourage, if you want someone to move forward, encourage them. But if, if you want to grow up, then we've got to receive correction. Because encouragement will move you forward. Correction will grow you up. I mean... It's not very popular, but like if we want to, if we want to get out of diapers and really do all, everything that God has for us, right? We've got to be able to be teachable, and and you know how anointed you are by how teachable you are, because the anointing is truth, and truth is a journey, a spirit, and a person which requires learning, which means we don't have it all figured out, which means we will be corrected. And we will be challenged, and we will be strengthened along the way. But making mistakes is definitely in God's equation. Our mistakes, right? So that's a big deal. So the direct quotes, again, I'll, I'll give them to you. Um, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus. We've got to see God correctly. He put on skin for that. That means everything to, go, to, to God. Like, literally everything. It cost Jesus everything. Think about this. The Father has no weakness, no pain. Like, He has no weakness. Almighty, all-powerful, sits on a throne forever. No needs outside of Himself. Self-existent. Forever. What happened to His Son was so brutal, someone with no weakness and no needs looked away from Him. That's how important it is for us to see God correctly. When we think of God, a lot of times we think of a guy with a fly swatter instead of someone who suffered for us and as us and with us. And we've got to see God correctly in the person of Jesus Christ. From the Gospels to the book of Revelation, from the Savior to the Judge, from the man on a donkey to the man on a white horse, we've got to see the whole spectrum the man with grace in his lips and the man with a sword in his mouth. We've got to be able to be willing to look at all who Jesus is. And, and that gives us a picture of what God the Father is like. And we've got to operate from that this, yourself. You must see yourself correctly. Jesus said you must love your neighbor as yourself. It's really hard to hate yourself and love your neighbor. If you don't value yourself, you will not value others. I just heard a guy, um, we were in a conference, and uh, he said something. I'm like, wow, that's honest. He's like, he was talking about um, his community of prayer and how they have this, you know, the bridal understanding that we're the bride of Christ. And he goes, in the midst of this bridal paradigm, there's so much self-hatred in our community that God was dealing with. And I'm like, whoa, like that's super honest like and it's true like we can have a revelation of God's love and never translate it into how we see and treat ourselves and what I'm saying sounds almost like it can be like weird but it's not most people are unaware that they have a relationship with themselves 
I know that sounds kind of like you're like, really, dude? Like, yeah, I talk to myself, and so does God. <laughs> Let us make man in our image. Who will we send for us? John 17 is God talking to himself, father and son. Psalms, the most famous psalm, Psalm 23. You know what that is? It's a guy talking to himself. The Lord is my shepherd. You think that was a revelation for Jesus? Oh, I'm your shepherd. Great song, David. He was talking to himself. He was prophesying what would follow him. He was telling himself he will not be afraid. Many of the Psalms are dudes talking to themselves. Seriously. And I'm, I'm nervous when people don't talk to themselves. It's really important. I know this sounds, we need, to, we need to talk to ourselves biblically. I remember I said something negative to myself and the Holy Spirit goes, you wouldn't say that to someone else. Not at this stage of your life. And I'm like, wow, I, I wouldn't say that. And I, so I, I forgave myself because I said something that I wouldn't say to you. So why would I say it to me? We're going to have to, being spirit-filled affects our feelings, our emotions, our perceptions, and also the talk that is going on within us, even if it's not verbally uh, spoken. I, I know that I'm, you know, okay. Three, relationships, right? We've got to see relationships correctly. People are not opportunities. People are privileges. Jesus said, if you have a problem with your brother, you leave your gift where? At the altar. And you go and you deal with your brother. Why? Because relationships are more important than requirements. Or religious activities. God values people over things. God needs your offering like a hole in the head. He does not need our offering. I need your offering. I mean, just be honest with you. No, seriously. Like, the church needs your offering because, like, there's a light bill. God doesn't have a light bill. God is light. You know, it's like, we have a light, right? Let's, so let's not get it, let, you know. But what does God value? God values people created in His image and His likeness. And so He's saying, look, hold the gift because if you give me a gift... I can't really put it to your account because you have unforgiveness toward your brother and I don't relate to people who have unforgiveness toward others. My relationship with those people is suspended. I know that's people are like, that's extreme. No. God said if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. The only way God relates to humanity is through the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offered when He paid for us. We can only go to the Father through Jesus. If we choose not to forgive, we're choosing to separate ourselves from God. God is not choosing to love us any less. If you get up and leave this church right now, no one threw you out. You chose to leave. Right? So the, the thing is that we make choices and those, those choices affect all of the relationships in our life. Including our relationship with God. I'm not teaching works. I'm teaching grace. Jesus did it. But if I believe it, then I come into agreement with it. You believe church was going on today, so you showed up. Simple. It's not, it's not complicated in any way. And so we've got to see relationships correctly. Time. Time is huge. There's kairos, which is a divine moment where heaven breaks in. And then there's chronos, which is watch time. It can be measured. 
right? The gift of faith converts Kronos to Kairos. That means at any moment we can seize, uh, basically heaven can break in. God can visit time and space in Jesus' name through your life. And the gift of faith takes time and makes it a moment. We've got to see time correctly. Time in, in simple ways can be wasted, can be stolen, can be spent, can be invested, and can be redeemed. That's something that, that's a whole nother thing. I, we could talk about that, but just think about that. You can search the Bible and see if what I'm saying is crazy, but time is a, is a huge uh, factor. Times and seasons are in God's authority. So the authority Jesus gives us is what facilitates time. So when we think that time is in the enemy's hands, that's incorrect. Time is not in the enemy's hands. Time is in the people of God's hands. Like one of our brothers said, God is ready anytime you get ready. God doesn't need to be prepared. He's prepared. We need to be prepared. He lives outside of time and space and looks at the whole timeline of human history in a moment. And so, time. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because if we worry about tomorrow, today is stolen. If I spend my time focusing and fearing and worrying about tomorrow, the enemy neutralizes me today. Many believers are afraid of the future and in bondage to the past. Jesus made a way. We don't have to be any of that. If that's you, don't feel bad. Just change. It's fine. You know, we have a pastor friend, Pastor Bruce. He's like, God's not mad at you. He just wants you to change. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> He's not mad, but he does want us to change. You know, that's, that's the thing of following him. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. In other words, follow me, I will transform you. I will turn you from someone who is only fishing for your belly to someone who is fishing for others. I'll, I will transform you. I will change you. Right? That, that's what happens when we follow Jesus. And that's the good news. And um, money. Jesus said this, you cannot serve God and mammon. Can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. Money is a big thing that we've got to understand. And that's what I'm actually going to camp out at. And it's not about an offering. Everything I'm going to talk about is about the supremacy of Christ over resources. I hope that it really encourages you and strengthens you. And um, six is problems. Jesus said himself, in this world you will have tribulation. That's a Bible word for problems. Seven is the future. You must see the future correctly. The Holy Spirit reveals things to come. We're always asking him about yesterday and he's always thinking about tomorrow. We're like, God, take me back to that moment when I was dropped on my head. And he's like, you know what? You're here, I'm here. Let's move forward, you know? I got things to come to show you, right? I'm not, I'm not belittling inner healing. I went through it like a lot of times. It's fine. But I'm saying the Holy Spirit wants to reveal things to come. And if we're stuck in the past... How can he, if I'm worrying about tomorrow, or if I'm stuck in the past, how can I have an ear to hear about the future? 
right? It's impossible to perform your job if you, if you don't go to work. And if we don't show up, we can't win. You know? All right, now we're going to get to the text. But I, I want to focus on God's uh, supremacy over money and over resources and over kingdoms. And the reason I felt to share this for this church is because I know that you guys have done ministry training. And I know that that's, that was an extensive um, thing and, and pastor in his heart and stuff like that. And he, he really wanted to get you guys equipped and to really like have a church that is actually doing what the Bible says, like people are equipped to do ministry. And the one thing I can tell you about ministry is real ministry, much of real ministry, let me say it that way, much of real ministry is not a business opportunity. In other words, a lot of ministry is ministering to the poor, to the sick, to the undocumented, to the unreached, and that's that costs money, like let's just be honest, right? And money doesn't just you know, it does grow on trees, the paper actually does, but <laughs> but we, we don't have a money tree, right? Um, and so it's, it's important to be able to trust God in this area. And it starts with us understanding that all wealth belongs to God. When we think of money, we often think of the devil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Yes, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's clear in the New Testament. But the scripture teaches that silver and gold belong to the Lord. Scriptures teach that the meek will inherit the earth, which is where silver and gold come from. So we've got to have a kingdom perspective on wealth. Being wealthy and being rich is different. You can get rich overnight. It takes time to become wealthy. And so, let's, let's go to the board. I know we're already late. And uh, if you're done before we are, as Bill Johnson would say, God bless you. But I, I'm going to try my best to be, to be uh, quick. I'm going to read from verse uh, 6 in chapter 1 of Exodus to 2 verse 10. I'll make a few comments. And I hope that the word of God uh, will be a blessing to you. Because when I leave, these truths are right here. These truths are in this word. They're here. It's on the wall? Okay. Cool. Joseph died. I'm reading from the New King James. Verse 6. All his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. And there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more, more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, let, lest they multiply. And it happen in the event of war that they also may join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities in Phithom and Ramses. 
But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter and hard, bondage and mortar, in brick and in, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of one was Shephara. Shephara sounds like the makeup place. Whatever. And the name of the other is Pua. Yeah. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, see them on the birth stools. If it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but saved the male children. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them, which means he gave them families, children. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And the man of the house of Levi went and took a wife as a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw he was a beautiful child, good-looking. She hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, laid him in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river, and here... And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister, which is, would, we believe would be Miriam, we're not sure, but we, that's the only sister I believe the scripture talks about, Okay. Um, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you, for the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called for the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse her for me, so I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, because I drew him out of the water. All right? What happens? Joseph dies. Joseph is known. Joseph has favor. Joseph has saved the nation. He has credibility. He has ministry. He has resources. He dies. It's game over. All of a sudden, the, the, the king of Egypt or the pharaoh doesn't know the people of Israel. There's no one that is significant in his eyes. Then he begins to look at them and he, and he realizes they're actually more powerful than us. There's more of them than there is of us. And he becomes afraid of them leaving Egypt. Why? Because they were his free slave labor. So his workforce would leave. 
And he was afraid of this. And the very thing that he was afraid of came upon him. Just like Job, that sometimes in life the things that we fear are the things that come upon us. That's why the only thing we should fear is God, because we want Him to come upon us. <laughs> right? And so the things that we fear, you know, they can come upon us because fear opens the door. And so the thing that this man feared was the very thing that came upon him. Little did he know that he was going to pay for it with his own money. Watch this. It's really important to remember this scenario. First of all, the, the midwives disobey him, right? They say, no, we're not going to do... They didn't tell him, they just didn't do what he said. It says, because they feared God. Sometimes fearing God means we directly disobey someone in authority. Don't take that and not listen to your pastor and say, Adam told you that. That's not what I'm saying. When someone tells us to do something that is contrary to God's word, we owe no man our conscience. You hear me on that? We don't owe anyone our conscience. Just like Peter said, I'm not going to stop speaking in Jesus' name, period. If there's ever a conflict of interest between people and God, God is always the choice. No matter how much authority the person has, no matter how close they are, Jesus made it clear. God is first. Period. Right? And so these women risk their very life and God meets them in their risk and then gives them a family. God blesses them. Right? God blesses risk. Not stupid risk. Not lottery. Lottery spirit. Risk. Where we're honoring God and it will cost us something to honor God. And it may cost us everything. That's a lot of times where God releases a blessing on our life. It, it, it doesn't have to be a drastic thing, you know. But when we, when we step out in faith, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith. There's risk involved, right? Yes. We believe that. Alright. Let's move beyond that. I want to talk real quick about how Moses' mother, before he's even named Moses... She lets go. She takes a beautiful child who's good looking, joyful, cheerful, scriptures say, and she releases him into a river and she puts her own child in a place of being vulnerable and she cannot be in control of what then happens to that child. And sometimes real faith, and, and it just lets go and lets God be in charge. Faith will cause us to have to be vulnerable. Jesus said, I have sent you as lambs among wolves. That sounds vulnerable. I know it's not comfortable, but like our brother said, we don't grow in our comfort zone. We don't, he said we don't change, rather, in our comfort zone. And that's true. And so this woman released her son not knowing what in the world is going to happen to him. But believing that God had a purpose for him. And God brought about that purpose. Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's uh, maiden, they, they basically see the, the baby. They take him in. And what's wild is that Pharaoh's daughter pays his mother to breastfeed her own child. That means the money came from Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh was paying for the nurture, for the lifestyle, for the education, and housing the man that would destroy his economy, take his slave labor force, destroy his army, judge his future, firstborn sons done, destroy their agriculture in less than a week. This man had to pay for God's promise to be established in God's people. What is my point? The point is simple. This is the only point. This is a one point sermon. God will cause your enemies to pay for your breakthrough. God, God will cause your enemies to pay for your promise. God wants us to trust Him in the realm of resources, in the realm of money, in this hour. In this hour, we are living in unstable times. We are living in times where economies are shaken, where nations are at war, where there's all kinds of things that are really unpredictable. And God wants us to be sure about who He is and about what He said and God wants us to understand whether he needs to rain bread down of heaven, whether he needs to cause a rock to bring forth water, whether he causes the man who ordered the destruction of a generation to pay for their deliverance. Whatever it is, God wants us in this hour to be confident in him that he is supreme, that there is no one above him. That there is nothing that he cannot do. That is no circumstance that he cannot invade. His arm is not short. And his pocket is real deep. All of the silver and gold belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. God wants us to simply have childlike faith, and to trust Him. Your future is in the hands of God Himself, and no one is able to pluck you out of that hand. He holds time in His hand by His authority. All of the resources belong to Him. I, I just want you to think, though, how God did this. And what did, what, did, what did Moses order the destruction of the sons? And then God visited that and brought it upon him. What was God saying? God saying, I'm going to cripple your future. To the enemy. Which means, think about this, the future belongs to the people of God. The people with the most hope own the future. This is under an inferior covenant with an inferior mediator with inferior promises. We have a better mediator, a better covenant based upon better promises. Now it's time to expect more. 
To be honest, I don't fully know what it looks like, but it looks better than this. <laughs> you ever hear that? You look, you're somewhere in the future, and you look much... You, yeah. you know what? That's Kim Clement. <laughs> Kim Clement. You know that song. Come on. I'm not crazy, right? You're somewhere in the future. Yeah. God owns the future. We're His. And I think it's, it's really, really important that we lean into this truth found in these scriptures. This is not my truth. This is simply if you look at how God provided for His people, He made the people that afflicted them pay for their deliverance. They left. What did they leave with? Egypt's gold. Why? Because it was their hands that minded. And God is just. I just, I want Jesus to be magnified in our life, in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our circumstances, that we would look at Him like He's bigger than the problems. He's stronger than the struggles. Do you see how He walked into these circumstances and dominated a nation? He dominated. He owned them. He judged all of their gods. He took their money. He crippled their economy. He ruined their agriculture. He took their future just to deliver his people. Why? Because he said he would. And he's faithful to his word. And he and his word are one. And what he says, he will do. That's right. And the crazy part is, you know what? Who identified Moses? A pagan lady. A heathen, as they say in the 80s. A heathen identified this man's purpose and destiny by calling him Moses, which means drawing out, which would be the very thing that he would do to their nation, draw all of the people of God out. It's like the devil prophesied that he's going to lose. Right? Same thing in the New Testament. If they wouldn't have known the principalities and powers, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Their greatest, what they thought was a victory, was their greatest defeat. The people who he was afraid would leave, he paid for them to leave. Let me say this. Jesus wins. We will struggle. It will be a battle. We are in a war. But we're together. We're with Him. We're His. And He is able to do what He said He would do. That's it. Thanks for listening.